0: want I start with today's teaching, I want to do something a little selfish, a little special. I want to wish my mom a happy birthday. She turned 61 years old this week, and uh, she's not here in person, but she watches online. So happy birthday, mom, um, if you're watching online now. Happy 61st birthday. That's right. She's 61. She loves when I tell people that she's 61 years old. And, um, and she is uh, the kindest and sweetest, gentlest person I've ever known in all my years, I cannot remember once being disciplined by my mom, which may explain some of my character flaws, but she always passed the discipline off to my dad, who uh, very ably took up that mantle, and uh, he, he did not spoil, or, what, spoil the rod, right? Wait, spare the rod. Yeah, I know the Bible. He did not spare the rod. Nor did he spoil the child. That was my mom's job. And uh, he, he, like a lot of East Texas fathers, he whipped us. Like, I got whippings. And y'all can judge us, but it was a different time. You could do that back then. And, uh, and he disciplined us. In all my days, I only remember my mom hitting me once. One time. So far. She's still got time. But so far, it's only been once. Can I tell you about it real quick? before I? All right. So it happened when I was six years old. Uh, just probably a little bit after this picture was taken. I'm the cute one, by the way, if you're wondering. And my sister and I were riding in the car with my mom. It was a 1979 Dodge Challenger. And some of these cars back then didn't have bucket seats. Believe it or not, there wasn't like a driver's seat and a passenger seat. There was like a bench across the front, kids. Believe it, there was a bench across the front. And so as a kid, that meant I got to sit in the front with my mom on my left and my sister on my right. My sister was probably 11 at that point. And I sat in the middle of them. I don't think it was legal, but it was a different time. And I also didn't wear a seatbelt, uh, which, again, sorry, different time. It's just a different time. And so you can judge us if you want. Nevertheless, we were in the car driving down some old country road, and something happened. My mom got distracted. It was probably my fault but I'm I'm not sure about that, I'm 99% sure it was my fault, that she got distracted behind the wheel, didn't see the car, stopped in its tracks in front of us. We were probably going 40, 50 miles an hour. And that's pretty fast when you got an object that's stopped in front of you, right, in the road. So in the millisecond before impact, my mom does one of these mom moves. hi yeah! Right across my six-year-old chest. Knocks every bit of oxygen out of my body. They almost took me to the, to the, in the ambulance just for my mom's induced injuries. Not like the accident, right? Like, it's what my mom did to me. Like, no, it, miraculously, nobody in the accident got hurt except for me by my mom. Like, I was the only one. And, uh, and so I had this bruise across my chest, this arm-shaped bruise with, like, a uh, you know, Timex watch indention over here, you know, like. And uh, it's the only time I ever remember my mom hitting me. Other than that, it's been all love all the time with this woman, and she is is awesome. I I wish her a happy birthday. She is not only gentle, she's also a survivor. She's a hero. She survived breast cancer, and she's the matriarch of our family now, as we've lost some others, her mom and her older sister in the past couple years. So, mom, I love you. Happy birthday, everybody. (laughs) Happy birthday, mom. All right. Okay. So, um, when I think about my mom at Christmas time, it's impossible for me not to draw comparisons to the story we find in, in the Gospels of Mary. Because right? if you know anything about my story, you know that my family got started unexpectedly very young. So you can do the math. My mom is, she just turned 61. I'm 40. My sister is five years older than me. So y'all can figure that out. They got some unexpected news of, uh, I guess you could call it an unwanted pregnancy. I've reminded my sister often that she was unwanted, by the way. (laughs) That always goes over really well. And I, I can't imagine the struggle. And I know what they went through. I know it was hard. I know they took her out of the school that she was supposed to be in and sent her to some special school for pregnant girls and troubled kids and keep her out of sight, you know, so the other girls don't catch whatever she's got. And it was a, it was a different world. It was a lot of shame, a lot of shame that she went through. And the uh, only reason I say that is to say that when we look at Mary, we shouldn't assume that she was impervious to that kind of thing. Like she had some kind of uh, force field around her because the angel came and told her about her baby. That's not how it worked. Mary, just like my mom, was a teenager, a real teenage girl, probably younger than my mom was when she got the news of her pregnancy, you know? And at least my mom had my dad, uh, you know, to vouch for her and like marry her and you know, like claim responsibility and all that stuff and Mary's like, well, it was God, God did this to me. And everybody's like, yeah. You know, she dealt with that doubt her whole life. Rumors swirled around her her whole life. People did not believe her story. And she was probably 14 years old when she, um, when, when she got this news. And so I just think we don't pay enough attention to Mary. I think that our, the young girls in our community Women and girls would be better off. Ben, too, but I, as a father of a daughter, I want to talk more about Mary. I think sometimes Protestant churches overcorrect, you know, Catholicism's obsession with Mary, sort of, and uh, we just don't talk about her. I think we should because whenever, whatever we do have of Mary, I think, misrepresents her. Like with these classic images of her in art, I just don't see a broken and scared teenage girl in images like this one. I mean, she's like, she's grown. This woman is grown, as you see on the screen right now. Like, she is grown, and she's got it together, and her baby's, like, throwing up signs, and, like, it's all, like, good, you know? And it's super, like, serene and calm. And that's not the story that I imagine. That's not how I imagine her face looking at this point in her life. She's a teenager, clueless. She's got hopes and dreams. She wants to live a normal life. She wants to have babies that are cuter than her friends' babies and raise them around family. Like, that's what she wants in her small town. And God shows up and ruins her life. He ruins the life she thought she wanted that should not be lost on us. And even through all the struggle, she persevered. That's the story of Mary. It's not that she had it together the whole time. It's that she found a way to hold it together through everything she went through. That's why I I personally prefer this image of Mary to the one you see now, Wonder Woman. I think Mary's more like Wonder Woman. She feels heroic to me when you look at the the whole of her story. That's what we're going to do today. I'm going to read a passage, a little longer than most of the passages I read out loud. You have it in your study guides that you were given when you came in. Um, Also, I encourage you to have your Bible with you or maybe a Bible app on your phone. Um, We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. That's the third book of the New Testament. Um, It's the third of four biographies of Jesus' life. In the first chapter, verse 26, is where we will begin. Verse 26, um, I'll read through verse 56. Here we go. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so that's Elizabeth and Zechariah we talked about last Sunday, um, when the angel Gabriel visited Zechariah, the priest, in the temple and said, you're going to have a baby. And he's like, we're super old. And the angel's like, shut up. Like, literally, like, made him stop talking. And then he went home. You remember the story? And his wife liked him a lot, Quiet, the quiet version. And, uh, and then they had a baby. And they, and they got pregnant, right? And so this is Elizabeth, Mary's relative, six months pregnant. With John the Baptist. God then sent the angel Gabriel, same angel, to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. I'm sure that's, <laughs> that's how she put it. I, I am greatly troubled at your words. I doubt that's how that went down. Like, I'm pretty sure she was... Pretty disturbed by this visit from a an strange angel with this weird message. She wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. If you've found favor with God, you'll conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. So Mary didn't know at this point. Elizabeth had gone into hiding because that's what women do when they've had high-risk pregnancies before and lost them. They don't tell anybody. And so Elizabeth didn't tell anybody for six months. So Mary didn't know. And the angel tells her. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town. Now listen, listen to this. At that time, right then, she didn't wait. Mary got ready right then and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, which was 90 to 100 miles away from Nazareth where Mary lived. She left right away, she left on foot, she traveled 90 plus miles through rugged, mountainous terrain by herself in the first trimester of her weird pregnancy. Anybody who's ever been around a pregnancy knows that's the hardest time. And there she is, throwing up in the bushes on the way to the Judean hill country. Why? Because there's one person in the world who will understand. And it's Elizabeth. And nobody back home will believe her. So she runs to Elizabeth's house, verse 41. When Elizabeth uh, yes, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, "Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you'll bear!" But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb, John the Baptist, little John the Baptist, leaped for joy inside of Elizabeth. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, it says Mary said, it's actually written differently in your Bibles. It's indented, in, which means it's intended to be sung. It's poem or music. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. The mighty one has done great things for me. Don't picture that weird woman with the starry thing around her head. Picture a 14 year old girl who's been rehearsing these lines the whole way, reminding herself that God is faithful, because she has no one else at that point. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm, scattered those who were proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary then stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and returned home. Now, The reason we don't get it is because we know how the story ends. We know the Gospels have a pretty good ending. This is going someplace good. And so we, in turn, revise history. And we read everything through the rose-tinted glasses of the resurrection, including Mary's story. But can we just for a minute sit back and appreciate the struggle of this young girl? Can we just step back and realize what this young girl in Nazareth must have experienced? We know Joseph doubted her. He wanted to divorce her quietly, which means break off the engagement without forcing her to face the music that the priests at the synagogue would have had her face, which was probably, well, the the letter of the law called for her to be stoned to death for her sins. No one believed God got her pregnant, right? Let's be clear. Her parents wouldn't have believed her. Mary was, by any account, alone alone in Nazareth. Maybe that's why she headed off to see Elizabeth. Maybe that's why even after Elizabeth sends her back home three months later, that she still leaves Nazareth again, even more pregnant than the last time she left. When it's time for Joseph to go to Bethlehem and be counted in the census, Mary's like, I'm going with you because you're the only one who believes me. Or maybe Joseph's like, you're coming with me because I'm called to protect you. Whatever the case, both of them believed, Mary should not stay there among those people who did not believe her story life was hard for mary and then she goes to bethlehem very pregnant gives birth to the most important baby ever born and she places him in a feeding trough for animals that's not how it's supposed to go he's supposed to be on a throne not in a manger and she had to figure out all the things new moms have to figure out, like how to get him to latch, like this kid's got to eat, he's God, like we got to feed him, you know, like he's got to grow up, and like all the pressure times infinity for a new mom. And, and Joseph, poor Joseph, is seeing and learning about things no teenage boy should ever have to see and learn about. He was the midwife. He was the one who said, push. <laughs> it's the one that caught that slimy thing. They're going through all this together. You don't think it was a struggle? You don't think for a minute clouds of doubt surrounded them? Clouds, not even necessarily doubt about God, but doubt about themselves. Maybe we're not equipped for this. You don't think there were tears on that journey? Of course there were. People spread rumors about Mary her whole life. And it didn't get any easier after Jesus was born, either. Eight days after he was born, they'd take him to the temple to be circumcised, which was the, the rule every parent of every Jewish boy did this back then there was a line around the temple every day with babies being brought to be circumcised and and the priest Simeon he uh, saw something special in this baby and when they bring Jesus to Simeon the priest for circumcision Simeon blessed him and said to Mary this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and he said to Mary a sword will pierce your own soul. A sword will pierce your own soul. One of my favorite things about Mary's story is the, the fact that when the shepherds came to worship him and the angels sang, and then there were the wise men that came at some point, and it says in Luke chapter two, it says, she considered these things and treasured them in her heart. Mary treasured these good moments in her heart. Why? Because she knew something bad was coming. She knew not all seasons would feel like this one she's in with the angels singing and the shepherds worshiping and everything making sense. She knew a sword would pierce her heart. And so she treasured, like putting fuel in her tank, she treasured these things. truly some awful things were coming. Mary was there the whole time. Mary was there as the Pharisees and the priests turned on Jesus. In fact... Mary was there when Jesus was arrested, beaten. He was there when he was crucified. And listen, one thing we don't often give Mary credit for is she's the one person who could have blown up the whole thing. She's the one person who could have said, "Hey, hey, I made it all up. There was no angel. Joseph and I. And Joseph was dead by that point, we think. So Joseph and I, we made a mistake. We had a little slip up, you know, hormones and stuff. And so I'm sorry." Uh, there's nothing supernatural here, my son's a little crazy, let me just take him home and we'll be fine, you know, like, she could have blown the whole thing, but she didn't. And she stood there at the scene of the crucifixion and they watched, she watched him drive nails through her baby. And she was within a whisper of her son. They didn't hang the crucifixion victims up high, they, They were right there on the ground level. She was eye level with her son as he bled and cried. It was her baby. Is there anything worse for a mother than that? She was there when he cried his very first cry. She was there when he cried his last. And The whole time she just stood steadfast. Even after the trauma of the cross, she stood. Acts chapter 1, after the crucifixion, says Mary gathered with the other disciples to pray. She stood steadfast in the promises of God, remembering the things that she treasured in her heart before, even as her heart was pierced and emptied out at the cross. She kept putting one foot in front of the other. Mary knew something that many of us do not. Mary knew that life with God, when God calls you and claims you, it does not make your life easier. A blessed life is not an easy life. When you're in Christ, a blessed life is not a comfortable life. In fact, in Christ, comfort and convenience are highly suspicious for the believer. The Christian life is full of struggle. But we don't teach kids that at churches, which is why so many churches today are like atheist factories. We send kids off into the world and they become atheists at best, agnostics maybe, you know? And like, why? Because we told them from when they were little that if they're good to God, God will be good to them. Show up to Sunday school, memorize a few verses, get confirmed on time, God will open every door to you. And you say, jump, he'll say, oh, hi. He'll provide for you, your school you want to get into, your husband you want to marry, your whatever. Like, he will be good to you and take the struggle away. If you struggle, you need to pray more. You need to have more faith if you struggle. That's not how it works. But what happens is these kids grow up and life happens to them. The struggle comes their way and they're like, wait, that wasn't the deal. This God we gave them is illegitimate because it's, it's not the true God of the gospel. In the Gospels, it's clear. It's not how it's ever supposed to work. We we make it sound like the church, like I said earlier, is for fancy people. That's what I heard this week. Church is for fancy people. Church is for people that are put together. Church is for wealthy people. Church is for family people. Church is for perfect people. No. We make it sound like the church is some kind of a luxury liner to heaven. And it's not. If you follow Jesus for five minutes, you know the church is a struggle bus that goes to hell and back. Like, But what happens is, just like everybody else, we go through the struggle, we go through hell, but as we go on the struggle bus through hell and back, we have joy in our hearts, a song on our lips, and we leave hell with more people on the bus than we went there with. Because others want what we have. That's the difference. It's not the absence of struggle, it's the presence of joy through the struggle. That's the difference. Kids, if you're being raised in church and you're being raised to think that the Christian life is a good life, a comfortable life, a pain-free life, no! Divorce yourself from that mentality right now. The comfortable life is not the Christian life. God enters in to the discomfort. He's present in the struggle. Even though he may not always take the pain away, he will always make sense of it. He'll always make something beautiful from it. And he'll always make a way for you through it. Jesus promised us there would be times when we struggle. Jesus himself said in uh, the Gospel of John, he said, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, we know how the story ends, but it doesn't take away from the struggle of the now. And so, may we not look at the now through the rose-colored glasses as if the now is not real because the struggle right now is real and God is with us in it. And Jesus' half-brother James says the same thing in chapter one, verses two through four of his letter where he says, consider it pure, what? Joy, brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Listen, in Christ, even the test is a blessing. In Christ, even the trial is a gift because it is an opportunity to grow even deeper in your faith, to grow even more in your knowledge of God to let God use your wounds to bring healing to the world around you so that you can witness to those who are in darkness of their own. If you don't live through darkness, how can you speak to those who do? Part of what it means to follow Jesus. I'm gonna be real blunt with you, real honest about my own stuff for a second, and I would just appreciate it if nobody here takes what I'm about to tell you and makes it weird. Can we just agree? Can you not make this awkward? You're like, I won't if you won't. (laughs) I had a kid come up to me after the service, 945, no joke. My best friend's kid. Come up to me and said, "Uh, you made that less awkward than I thought you might. (laughs) He's like 10 years old. Anyway. um, Huh. Let me first say this. I've had what should be the best year of my life. 2018 has been good to me. Got a strong growing church that I love. I love being your pastor and brother. Got an awesome wife, healthy kids. Uh, I set one resolution this year and that was to put more spiritual content, Jesus content in more people's hands and before their eyes and in their ears in more different ways than ever before. In 2018, we started the Maybe God podcast, which has been great, and we upped our game with the live stream, we've doubled our viewership on the live stream, it's been great. Um, Starting the Timber Grove uh, campus in 2019. Kale, you in the house? I know I saw him. Kale, you're here? Kale's asleep. There he is. Uh, Kale's asleep. Uh, He's got a one-year-old baby. Um, I mean, uh, a one-month-old baby, sorry. Even worse. Um, Welcome to the struggle, Kale. Lots of good things. Wrote a book. It's been great. Like I, I dream come true. And the only reason I say all that, trust me, I'm telling you that not to brag. I'm just telling you that to help you understand that all that stuff made what I'm about to tell you even worse. Because my life is so good and so richly blessed. Sometimes I'm ashamed of struggling. Anyone else? So I look at other people who have it worse than me and I'm thinking, what right do I have to struggle? My struggles aren't even real. Theirs are. Mine aren't. And if I feel like my struggles are real, then I'm just being self-absorbed. I should move on because I'm privileged. I won the lottery. Right? I've I've got everything. And so, anyway, I'm avoiding telling you what I'm about to tell you. This week, I was driving around, and I started to cry, like, in my car. Not a lot, but it was enough. (laughs) And I don't do this often. (laughs) Y'all are making it awkward. Can we just, can we pretend like we're not at church right now? Can we just take the church veneer down for a sec? Can I not be your pastor, and you're not my flock, and we're just old friends? Hanging out, drinking coffee in some high-tech warehouse. <laughs> I started to cry. There was no reason for it. Nothing bad had happened. I was just leaving one meeting and going to another. And I hate meetings, but it wasn't that bad. Like, I, <laughs> I just, out of nowhere, I felt like a cloud had closed in around me. I can't explain it. Uh... I talked to Gio about it afterward, uh, like days afterward, because I run from intimacy. But I talked to her about it. (laughs) She was like, what did it feel like? And I said, it felt like loneliness. She said, but how, how could you feel alone? Like, I'm here for you and the kids and the church and your friends. It's like, I know. You're totally right. I've got all kinds of people who love me. I know that now that the clouds are gone. But when the clouds were here, I was temporarily blinded. You ever... Like, blinded a little bit by this despair moment. I couldn't see through it, right? And and I just felt lonely. I felt isolated, and and I felt tempted to give in to that um, despair. And I just sat there in my car, hoping against hope that no one in my church would pull up next to me. (laughs) I didn't want y'all to see me like that on San Felipe at the red light. Like, nobody wants to see their pastor crying in his car by himself (laughs) at Christmas. So, lucky for me, it was not my first experience with that cloud or with the one who sent it. I am well aware of our enemy and how he works. I wasn't before. Before Jesus came and took over in my heart, uh, those moments would send me into a tailspin and the enemy just had me right in the palm of his hand because he could send the clouds in, and no matter how good my life is, suddenly I'm doubting myself, I'm doubting everything, and and I'm going deeper into isolation, I'm going deeper into addiction, going deeper into self-absorption, and a tailspin. But something changes truly when Jesus takes up residence in your heart, you start to understand that Jesus lived a life shrouded in the struggle constantly surrounded by reasons to doubt. He had moments of loneliness, fear, questioning. He walked through it. But like his mama before him, he kept putting one foot in front of the other and trusting the promises of God will come to pass. And so now, instead of being freaked out, wrapped up in anxiety, sent into the tailspin of deeper despair. I trust Jesus to show me the way through. He doesn't necessarily dispel the clouds of darkness right away, but I know the way out. Now, I didn't before. And now I, I welcome it. I know it's weird, but I welcome the tears, and I welcome the darkness, because I know it's just for a minute. And I know that my experience in the darkness will help me to minister to those who walk in darkness. Y'all weirded out? Let me just say this. I know at Christmas time, for some of you, the clouds roll in. I mean, not just at Christmas time, but for some of you especially at Christmas time. because. You start comparing, and you think about all you don't have, and you miss the people you can't hold this year because they're gone, and you start to have doubts. I know the clouds roll in, and the only reason I share Mary's struggle with you and the only reason I share my struggle with you is because I know sometimes you need to be reminded that however big the clouds might look, God is bigger. And however dark it might feel in there, God's light shines brighter. And even on the days when the wound across your chest feels like it's God-shaped, like he's done it to you, trust me when I tell you that he loves you more than my mama loves me. He loves you more than Jesus loved Mary. And he will see you through this if you let him. And not only will he see you through this, but he will show you something about yourself and your purpose and your calling through the season of darkness you might be in right now if you trust him you trust him, you'll understand how darkness becomes a blessing. If you're in the darkness now, I pray that you'll keep putting one foot in front of the other, that you'll keep trusting the promise of Christmas, which isn't all things merry and bright, not always the most wonderful time of year. Sometimes the promise of Christmas means learning to say, wow, even in the struggle. I think that's why Jesus came. And if you're in the thick of it right now, trust him to get you through it. I think that is the meaning of Christmas. Christmas. Would you pray with me? Lord, through every trial and every struggle, you're faithful. You brought us through before. We trust you to bring us through again. Lord, sometimes we misrepresent who you are and what you came to do. Even if you don't take away our pain, God, help us to see how you redeem it, how you make sense of it and how you make a way through it. Thank you for being bigger than the storm and brighter than the darkness. Help us like Mary before us to trust you through it all. Thank you for this Christmas promise of the incarnation that we celebrate this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.